I have now entered the book of, of the letter of Romans and when I read this in the beginning of the week, it just struck my heart to the point where I I want to bring to you God's word from from this chapter. I'm not going to preach from the whole chapter. There's too much in it. But for the context, let's read verses 1 to 17. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of, of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature, was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart and preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you but have been prevented from doing so until now. In order that I might have a harvest amongst you, just as I have had among the, gen- the other Gentiles, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. This is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This is the word of God. 
beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, I agree with many Reformed preachers of the Word that gospel preaching today is in serious trouble. Earnest calls from many sources come to us to once again return to expositional gospel preaching. It is time that we serious answer a few questions. For instance, what is the gospel we preach? Can the church ever slip into a market-driven message which would answer the needs of those who listen and even demand the message? Can the worship service ever become a therapeutic experience filling the sociological and psychological cravings of man. It has become a feature of many of the so-called mega-churches, and more specifically those of the charismatic inclination, to make the worship service a massive, hyped-up experience whereby the preacher preaches about things happening around people as if he would be preaching out of the newspaper with hardly any reference to the word of God and if the word is read it is mainly done to serve as a launching pad to catapult the sermon into the realms of what the preacher actually wants to say himself I recently heard of an extended sermon on the TV show Desperate Housewives. Just to give you an idea of an example of what we mean. From our text this morning, we find a clear answer. Paul sets the contents of the preaching for us in Romans chapter 1. The gospel, and I sum up, the gospel is a call to people to faith and obedience in Jesus Christ. The gospel calls people to belong to Christ. Full stop. That's our message. These days our biblical exposition based on good and thorough exegesis, that is the complete study of the Bible, not much is heard. The complaint is often that Modern day people do not want to hear this Bible message anymore. They want to hear how to solve their personal problems. Therefore, there is no room for theology and doctrine. There is also the complaint that theology and doctrine are divisive, while the gospel brings unity. Now, I can't for for, for nothing, I can't work out what's meant by this. Because to me, the gospel implies theology. It is like feeding people with food which is not food. One could only ask what such a gospel is about. Fact is, even preaching has gone out of fashion. Out of fashion. In many churches, it has become a mere talk or a mere homily out of some prescribed book 
while the preacher does not personal do, does not do any personal research or study or meditation of the scriptures. Dr. John MacArthur writes in an essay titled, Why I Still Preach the Bible. And he says, Faithfully preaching and teaching the word must be at the heart of our ministry. Any other approach replaces the voice of God with human wisdom. Philosophy, politics, humor, psychology, homespun advice, and personal opinion can never accomplish what the Word of God does. Those things may be interesting, informative, entertaining, and sometimes even helpful, but they are not the business of the church. The preacher's task is not to be a conduit of human wisdom. No human message comes with the stamp of divine authority, only the word of God. How dare any preacher substitute, substitute another message? And I agree with John MacArthur, who has been a faithful minister of the word in expositional preaching for the last 40 years. Let's look at what the minister of the gospel is and who he is. I did research through my electronic Bible program on the term preach or preaching. And the results are stunning. The Apostle Paul uses this word in, only in his letters to the different churches 51 times. 51 times. And in all those cases, it has to do only with one thing. And that is the proclamation of what God called him to say about Jesus Christ. Preaching for the Apostle Paul, if I may only limit it down to his, his work, is nothing else and nothing less but the preaching of what God called him to tell God's people about Jesus Christ. Never has it any hint of what Paul had to say in a personal sense to the congregations. Therefore, he states in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, his task, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. That's it. It sums it up. Paul calls himself a bond servant. With that he says he is the subject to the will and wholly at the disposal of God. That is what a bond servant was. You were bought at a price for a specific person, a purpose to do a specific job. You had no will of yourself but the will of the one who called you. With this he describes his absolute subjection to the devotion of the Lord Jesus as he would never have yielded to any other creature. That's what he says, I am a servant. I belong to God, I'm bought by God, I'm set aside 
by God for God's purpose. And I owe my life to this God. He knows he's an apostle. The one who was sent on a mission, because that is the word, the meaning of the word apostle. Sent with a mission, with the full authority of a messenger of God to proclaim the gospel message about Jesus Christ. Therefore, he says, I'm a servant, an apostle, means that I'm sent with the authority of the one who sends me, and I have nothing else to proclaim but the gospel. And we'll, we'll later get to what the gospel is. Now, John Piper quotes Arnold Dalymore, a biographer of uh, George uh, Whitfield. Uh, George Whitfield was that mighty preacher of two centuries ago. And Dalymore then, after he reflects on the life of uh, George Whitfield, then longs for preachers like Whitfield in our day. Yea, what shall we see? Uh, what uh, shall we see? The great head of Christ once more raised up unto himself certain young men whom he may use in this glorious employ. And what manner of men will they be? Mighty men in the scriptures their lives dominated by a sense of the greatness, the majesty, and the holiness of God, and their minds and their hearts aglow with the great truths of the doctrines of grace. And I wish that I could only be a shadow of what is what is said here. That they will be within my heart that sense of the greatness and the majesty and the holiness of God with my heart set aglow with the great, great truths of the gospel. That is the only thing we need to do. That's the only thing ministers have to say. The apostle Paul in, in, in Corinth, he was, he was measured against the 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 uh, the other people, the those who would go in pulpits and say mighty things, and they looked at the apostle and they said, "Who are you? You're just one of these common people. You're not wise as they are wise. They, you're not like these orators who can come and and sweep us away with your talk." And Paul says, "That's not my job. That's not my task." My task is just to proclaim to you the sweetness of the gospel. This was what the prophet Jeremiah said when calling, uh, about his calling to be a prophet. He said, if I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word will be like a fire in my heart, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I can not. The Apostle Paul says, we are driven by the gospel. We cannot otherwise. Paul, apart from the fact that he said he is a bondservant and an apostle, knew one thing above all. This gospel is God's gospel. It is from him about him 
it belongs to him and it is to his glory that it must be preached. Paul's relationship with the gospel is only defined by the fact that God called him and gave him a message. That's all. Both preachers of the word and those who hear the word of God preached have to understand this fact. Ministers are not in the service of the congregation and the congregation does not belong to the minister. What we need to do is to preach the gospel and what the congregation should long for is only the gospel. This is the only way the church will be church. Take this away and the church becomes a religious club. The word shapes and builds up the church. The word shapes and builds up the minister. And in this dynamic process where the Holy Spirit is at work, God speaks to the church and the church lives to the glory of God to enjoy Him forever. So if I disappoint you sometimes and I never have anything or much to say about your financial position or about why we have another drought maybe and why you shouldn't feel bad about yourself and all these things, well, I make no, I make no apology for it. It's, it's not my job. My calling is to preach the gospel. And as a result of that, of course, God will give us all the other things and explain to us, because we don't live in a vacuum. We, we live in this world, and we, we have to understand that. But I cannot, to use the word that is so used, so much used, without any definition these days, we have to contextualize the message. Oh, that's a big word for saying it. Preach what people want to hear. And therefore, and I have not put that in my text here, but it just comes to me, there is no such a thing. It doesn't matter how you define it and how you can bend the definition to come to what is called a user-friendly sermon. Because we're not driven by what people want. We're driven by what God wants us. Now, what is the content of the gospel? And, and, and I, I, I'm sorry if I, if I, you might say, well, you're preaching to yourself this morning. Yes, so I am. I am preaching to myself. I should be. But I'm also preaching to share with you my burden with the gospel so that you can pray for me and we, I can pray for you. And as the apostle said, I, I want to encourage you and I want you to encourage me. Now, what is the content of the gospel? Once again, in defining what the gospel is about, Paul is very clear. It is the scriptures. Therefore, he says that it is the scriptures and how they proclaim the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And even in this matter, we need to be very specific these days. The message is about him as the perfect mediator between God and us, our Redeemer, our Savior of sin, our only way to the Father, the one who rose from the dead, he is our Lord and him we worship. And that is the sum 
of what the gospel wants us to preach. It is not about the Jesus so easily, easily preached today as if he was sent into this world to make this place a better place for us to live, helping us overcome bad days and low self-esteem, restoring our bank balance and securing our career success. Some of these things are true, but they only may result from a saving relationship with Christ when we live to His glory and crucify ourselves for the sake of His glory. Once saved by grace, we become His servants and He is never our servant. Paul says, He is our Lord, proclaimed by the Holy Spirit with power to be the Son of God, worthy of our praise and undivided love and service. It is the other way around. Sometimes some of the message I hear gives me the impression that God sends us His Son so that He can come and serve us. It's the other way around. It is for us to be called to God to become servants of God. Our content, the content of our message is therefore nothing more and nothing less than Jesus Christ, the risen one from the dead, who by grace saved us from sin and restored us to the sonship of God the Father. The grace we received is not for our sake. It is for His sake. We do not live for ourselves. In another place, Paul puts it this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For Christ, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, for what purpose? That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died for them and was raised again. That is what the gospel calls us to. This is the message regarding the risen Christ. That we who received new life by grace should live for Him. This is also what we hear about the servanthood of Christ. In Christ, just a few verses further down in Romans chapter 1. and verse 9, Paul says, God, I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of His Son. I serve God with my whole heart. So that's the content of the gospel. The content of the gospel is Jesus Christ, according to the scriptures, by the power of the Holy Spirit, calling us to a new life and obedience. Now, what is the call of the gospel? And, and you might say, okay, well, now we've moved to somewhere where you can listen to. I hope that it's not the case, but the call of the gospel. The gospel comes to us in the form of a call. The gospel to us is never just a proclamation of, 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 of statements. It's a call. The Western Confession of Faith in chapter 10 describes it this way. All those whom God has predestined, predestinated unto life, and those only he is pleased 
in his appointed and accepted time to call effectually by his word and spirit out of the state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. So even today, like in the days of Paul, God still calls through the gospel by his spirit people from among all peoples to obedience in Christ Jesus. You have to hear this gospel as a call. It talks to you. Your name is in it. God means business with you. And this call is interesting and may help us to understand then something about the biblical understanding of faith. In Acts chapter 6 verse 7 we read this. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests, priests, became obedient to the faith. Now I want to just stress this. They became obedient to the faith. Now there's another one. In Romans chapter 16, when Paul sums up his whole gospel as he presented that to the Romans, he said, Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey. Believe and obey. Justifying faith is brought about by the preaching of the gospel. By faith, I'm convinced that the gospel is true and which God speaks about himself. It is faith that helps me to understand that I have nothing in myself to save me from my misery of sin. It is faith that teaches me that I need to trust upon Jesus Christ only for his righteousness to be my shield against the wrath of God upon sin. But there's more about faith. It is not merely a mental assent to the truth of the Bible, but it implies obedience. Obedience. It is not to say, well, I believe that. To believe is not only to say things about the gospel, it is to live the gospel. Because, as James puts it, faith without works is dead. In other words, when the gospel calls me, and the gospel calls you as he calls, as his God is calling you today, he calls us to understand that we cannot do anything about our righteousness before God, and we have to trust in Jesus Christ. So he calls you to Jesus Christ, and when he calls you to Jesus Christ, he calls you to obedience. Not only to a mental sort of uh, ascent. This is what Paul calls the Call of the gospel. He calls people through the gospel to Jesus Christ. And this is what I and all ministers of the word should be doing. We should be called people to faith in Jesus Christ. So it wouldn't be out of place for me to ask you this morning, do you really believe in Jesus Christ? It wouldn't be out of place for me to ask you, do you live as a Christian? Because that's the call of the gospel, to call you to obedience to Christ. 
Why? Because he is the Son of God, who is the only mediator between God and man, through whom we must be saved. We call people to belong to Christ. And when you belong to Christ, you do not belong to yourself anymore. That's the, that's the crux. We call people to become what God wants them to be. Holy ones. And if you would open your Bible there, you'd see that. And, 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 and maybe the, the, uh, the, the translators of the Bible there were, as I was when I looked at this, uh, a bit in a, in a problem as to how you, you translate that. To all in Rome, that is verse 7, who are loved by God and called to be saints. Now it has two meanings here. Not two meanings, but two ways of understanding this. God calls us to be saints. God calls us to belong to Him. That is what a saint means. Set apart for His service. God calls us to be His. He makes us. He makes us what He wants us to be. Through Jesus Christ. So God calls you and He says, You come to me. You belong to the Lord Jesus. You know what you're going to become? You're going to become a saint. You're going to become set apart for the service of God. That's what it means. But there's another meaning to it too. And that's what I think that it's sometimes hard to really give expression to both meanings. And that is the Lord says, when I, when, when I call you to come to me to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, I call you to a holy life. That's what a saint also does. It's a different life. It's a different setup altogether. You're called to be holy. And in essence, it here means that, that we, we call to belong to God, but we are called to, to reflect the nature of God in our life. I would like to think that God calls us to, to belong to Him. That we could be given a, a title. You're a saint. It's not, it's not like, you know, you, you're going to wear that around your neck and say, well, look, look at me, I'm a saint. That's not the case. What you, what you are going to say is God called me into his, into his church and he's given me a place. He's given me a place in heaven. He's given me a place in his, in his family. I'm a member of that family. What good news is that? You, all of us belong to families. Well, when you belong to the family of God, that surpasses everything. Everything. That's the good news we preach. So, yeah, I conclude. The gospel is the authoritative proclamation or the preaching of the word of God. It is about Jesus Christ who by his blood, death and resurrection became our righteousness so that we may have peace with God. The gospel calls us as people belonging to God to live as people belonging to God. This is the old, old story of Jesus and his glory. Of Jesus and his love. It is the story of a wonderful redemption God's remedy for sin. This is our only gospel. Nothing more.
nothing less. Amen. Our Father, we, we thank you for this gospel. And we pray, Lord, that you will raise up men to yourself with a fire in their belly for the gospel. O oh, Father, we pray that the pulpits of your church will once again be filled with men who, like a prophet Jeremiah, just says, I, I cannot hold it to myself. And Father, that you will use the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel to be the wisdom of the kingdom. Help us, Lord, and save us from all these programs that we find these days to help or to try to make the church grow. And once again, bring your ministers on their knees before the throne of God to preach the gospel. And Lord, that you would place a longing within your people to hear this gospel.